Hello and welcome to Merry Our Bones With, the show that lives, breathes and dies the movies and TV shows you love. We are your hosts, me, Jimmy Murphy, and with me as always, the Royale with cheese to my value burger, Mr. Ryan Etherington. So join us as we switch our chainsaws for TVs, our gremlins for ghosts, and be prepared to get eaten whole by a big rubber tree. That's right, you're going to need a bigger leaf blower as we bury our bones with the 1982 haunted house in suburbia film, Poltergeist. Sometimes a simple jigsaw is just too easy and doesn't give you the feeling of achievement. At Jigsaw Puzzle Land, every single puzzle gives you a chance of redemption. Their games offer a challenge unlike any other product on the market today. They even have uniquely designed puzzles for each customer available on request. They have a huge range such as logic puzzles, physical challenges, lateral thinking games, riddles and even an innovative take on good old-fashioned twister. Each item is handcrafted from strong, high-quality and long-lasting durable materials so you can buy with confidence. Stop by today if you want to play a game, but be warned, some of their games are so difficult they just might make your head explode. Jigsaw Puzzle Land, because the crystal maze is for pussies. Hello, O'Brien. I want to play a game. So, Ryan, we're at the end of October. Halloween is approaching. The month of horror movies is drawing to a close. We began... <laughs> We began as we mean to go on, badly. <laughs> um, yeah, we began with uh, one of your choices, The the Ring and Ring, uh, respectively. Um, it's a good show. And we're going to close out the month with Poltergeist, a classic. I didn't realise it was actually 1982 until I looked it up. Uh, the 1982 closest thing you're ever going to get to a Steven Spielberg horror movie Poltergeist. I love this movie. Um, couldn't tell you when I first ever saw it. It's just 1980. It's been around since I, since I was born. You know. Um, what about yourself? Do you know, do you remember the first time you saw it? Uh, it was about five, six years. Seven, ago. eight, yeah. nine. <laughs> That's right. I can count. Uh, it's about five or six years ago. Yeah. I went through a bit of a horror binge. And uh, it was just always one of those ones that was uh, on the list. I finally got round to it, and I fell in love with it immediately. It's a charming movie. I mean, it, it doesn't. You just said you know you only recently realised it was nineteen eighty two. Doesn't feel like a forty one year old film. Crazy. Isn't it? Watching it the other day, forty one years, and still doesn't look ropey. Doesn't look. All like it, you could see it was made in 1982. Mm. Sometimes performances will give it away a little bit in the style, or that's what was happening in movies at the time. There's nothing about it where you go, ah, oh, yeah, you can tell this is 1982. Mm. 
you know. The um the constant plugging of Star Wars toys and products was a it's a little bit and the BMX for me. But I do know what you mean. It's not it hasn't dated in that in that sort of way where things can look tacky as they get older. It's such a well crafted film. It's such it's one of those movies. There is something about I mean, like you say, every era has its own look and it dates that's the movie to that era and this has that look this has the look of a late 80s early 90s movie and for me there's something about movies from the 80s and 90s that sort of period early 90s right through the 80s that to me when i look at them it must be because that's the era of cinema i grew up with perhaps but their look those lenses they were using the the, the way they lit those films the way they were shot it's for me is the most pleasing cinema you can find and this is this movie obviously is produced by Steven Spielberg and possibly even partially directed by Steven Spielberg which I'm sure we'll get into um, it looks like a Spielberg movie it feels like a Spielberg movie um, and it's so satisfying it's, it's it could be the uh, ugly cousin to E.T. which I think is the same year if not the year after um it's it it's everything about that Spielbergian is that a word? Spielbergian It is now <laughs> It's everything about his era of cinema um that he's famous for, those Raiders of the Lost Arks, those ETs like in a horror movie. In a horror movie. And it's there and it's it's like it's just like candy to me. It's like cake. There's that era of movies, that look, the way those films feel um, have never been bettered. I think you're totally right, actually. Uh, it's, it's Spielberg has such a distinctive style that it's very hard to not immediately notice a Spielberg film. It's that kind of iconic, you know, the way, the way in which, you know, it's family orientated, you know, mm. it's based oh, it's in suburbia, a, in a very right, yeah. realistic environment. It's not, obviously it has, those fantastical elements and those supernatural elements but everything feels real doesn't ever feel like uh well that's just never going to happen this feels like oh well this is how it would happen if if mm -hmm. it was an average uh american family oh for sure yeah he does i mean spielberg especially around this this period is obsessed with suburban lifestyle kind of stuff like so the suburban family you know the legendary divorce and all of that sort of stuff that apparently shaped most of his uh, adult life at least his, his early career is all evident it's all on play like this could stand next to goonies do you know what i mean which he also produced you know um i didn't like realize spielberg actually wrote the story and helped write the screenplay i think i knew it and forgot you know what i mean but it's all of those spielbergian traits tr uh, tropes are there that it that tight family unit that is gonna you know be tested in some way like this could just as easily be et can it you know what i mean like coming coming down out of space comes et when this film coming out the ground comes like <laughs> skeletons and the, and the beast you know what I mean? yeah i think you hit the nail on the head when you said you know it's a uh, it's the ugly cousin to et because it there's so many similarities the only difference is the thing whatever it is that starts cropping up in this realistic world is 
this time not friendly mm. you know that's yeah. the only thing that really kind of makes this any really different from et it's almost like you went i want to do a good one and i want to do a bad one yeah you know yeah. well he was working on both at the same time wasn't he like yeah, yeah. like it, I, th- I remember what i read it was one morphed into et and th- it started it started here uh toby hooper um, said to him, I want to do a Poltergeist film. I, I think he offered him a really early version of what turned into E.T. He was like, no, I, don't, I want to do Poltergeists. And Spielberg said, I've got something I've been knocking about with Poltergeists. Let, let me see what I can do with it. And I think that's right. I think that's how it is. They had a really close collaborative mm. experience. Mate. It was so much so that Spielberg gets credited for as the actual director, which I think is a disservice to Toby Hooper. Um, I always thought his name was Tobe, but I've heard people say it's Tobe. I literally yeah. have just been going, Toby. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've, I've all my life thought it was Tobe. I heard someone say his name in an interview once and they said Toby, and I assume they know him better than I do. <laughs> so ever since then, I now say Toby. You know, um, I could be labouring under a misconception. But yeah, I mean, there was all sorts of trouble with how much... Because Spielberg was contractually obliged to only be directing E.T. so he couldn't direct the movie he was there every day on set apparently one of the actors said it was a very close collaboration the two directors said it was and then I think that when it got marketed the film studio really pushed the Spielberg element to the point where I think I'm right in saying Toby Hooper sued and got like 15 grand in damages and an yeah I know right and an apology from Spielberg. Sorry, I, I I was heavily involved, but it is your film. You know? It feels like, when you look at it, it feels so much like a Spielberg movie. You can see why people would naturally assume it was. And from what I can understand, it, they discussed a lot of storyboarding and a lot of the shots And Spielberg was there. That contractual thing about the E.T. thing probably just helps add, like... Um, fuel to that fire of who really directed it i uh, ended up seeing a fly on the wall uh behind the scenes as they directed it oh, oh nice. sorry as the film is being I've seen made shots He's and there. <laughs> at no point do i see toby hooper really it's just yeah it's spielberg spielberg talking to the costume designer spielberg talking to the mm. set designer yeah spielberg i think, talking I think to, this ties you know, into like how they marketed the film uh like and i think i mean if you look at toby hooper's output after it's not a great deal of big notable films considering like um this was quite i assume it was a, a hit when it came out we'll get into that obviously but it's a film of notoriety but it's a there's a lot of tv work and a lot of sort of odd films here and there that i've never heard of and i'm mm. sure they're great films but you would expect to see at least one more big big film after doing a film like Paul guy so i think maybe he burnt his bridges with a lot of the studios like you can't go around suing film studios or you know it's going to burn, burn your fingers slightly yeah, with that, but maybe he was sick of the big studio system at yeah. that point I don't you, know is, I mean it's understandable I mean the thing that probably most people remember him for other than Poltergeist is Texas Chainsaw of Massacre of course yeah uh, he also done Life Force as well mm. 1985 and uh, I think he did Texas Chainsaw 2 right he did another one of them anyway. Sounds about right. So you can kind of understand why they were pushing the marketing on Spielberg because we go back to it all the time, mm. but it's a money-making mm. business. 
who's going to sell more films yeah. it's it's going to be Spielberg especially yeah. at that time you look at is it Gremlins Steven Spielberg presents Gremlins is that right did he direct yeah. Gremlins no that was Joe yeah. Dante it's Joe Dante yes I'm sure it's Steven Spielberg presents like his name's Joe Dante's name's not there Steven Spielberg's name's, name is similar sort of stuff with Goonies and I guess this film mm. but he was I mean he still is a, a living legend but at that point he was cinema that were him and George Lucas but Lucas wasn't doing the volume of films yeah. Spielberg I mean he's probably the equivalent now of someone like a like a Chris Nolan like a Denis Villeneuve uh, like a uh, Ari Aster yeah that kind of like okay you're well, going like, to see the next Spielberg yeah, film that yeah. type of thing so you can again you can you can understand why they decided to push that yeah. a little bit more uh, so you know we've spoken a little bit about a film let's give for those you haven't seen just a little brief rundown of the plot so strange and creepy happenings beset an average California family the Freelings Steve Diane teenage Dana eight-year-old Robbie and five-year-old Carol Ann when ghosts commune with them through the television set initially friendly and playful the spirits turn unexpectedly menacing and when Carol Ann goes missing Steve and Diane turn to a parapsychologist and eventually an exorcist for help so that so <laughs> I mean that 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 little uh, blurb there mm. is is you know something I would want to go and see it sounds intriguing I think as you said Spielberg was kind of a bit obsessed with that suburban family that family mm. unit uh, and I think it's I think that's the that is the crucial point of the film that really makes it makes it what it is because I think without that family set up mm. it's very difficult to be to, we said it earlier in the ring episode it's very difficult to care about the characters if you don't like them mm. I don't think there's any of those th that family who are unlikable I yeah. mean the, the little boy annoys me a little bit and I'll <laughs> get into the reasons why <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, that's it's always a always a risk. It's one of those things that Spielberg does well is he usually casts kids really well. He usually gets them on the right side of annoying because they can be quite annoying quite easily. Um, child actors and Spielberg's usually pretty good at at picking out picking out a good cast to avoid those pitfalls. Um, like you say, there isn't anyone in the family who isn't likable. Really, like it's it's a good ensemble on uh, peace you know um, one thing I was struck with when I was watching it was like like I think he's mentioned that his wife's 31 or 32 I think he, he corrects himself he says 31 and he's talking about her age and 32 and I'm like it's, it's not old enough is it it's, it's the same age as me that's, like, as that's I, a bit worrying yeah, as I, I'm way past it now myself I, I, I'm like oh wow she's like really and it's like well hang on how old's the kids so she would have had kids and I start doing the math backwards because in my head like I, I'm pretty sure I forget the actor's name. He's got one of those names like T. C. Riley or something. Like the, who plays the dad? Craig T. Nelson. T. Nelson. That's it. Yeah. Um, he's definitely not 32. But it was the 80s, and people looked about 30 when they were 20 in the 80s. Well, there's you know so I mean? many things just in general about there's pictures of uh, kids with their fa with their fathers or their mothers, and there's pictures of them at the same age, and always the the elder of the two 
always looks so much older because mm. it's just how obviously times change it's easier to kind of say oh yeah that you know they don't look the age they are but they're obviously the same age yeah. you know it's like uh, you wouldn't look out of place smoking a pipe whereas if i was smoking a pipe i'd look like a lunatic mm. you know it's that kind of like the the, the weird disparity about those things and what so. one, of, one of the one of the notes that i made was 1982 the age of the big glasses because <laughs> everybody in this film who has glasses yeah. they're massive it's yeah. absolutely yeah, massive right, yeah. uh so obviously that was a keen fashion thing at the time mm. uh but certainly, I think a lot of people agree with us, given the facts and figures. So, Rotten Tomatoes audience score of 79%, which is a solid rating. IMDb score of 7.3 out of 10, which again is a solid rating. Uh, most films that are mm, not too bad are about a 6, so that's a good rating. Mm-hmm. It was it was uh, made on a budget of $10 million, which for Spielberg was certainly a lower budget. Uh, mm. production it made six six point eight million dollars back in its opening weekend so over half its budget back in the first weekend and then made 77 million in the US and Canada not bad on a so 10 million you've, budget you know you've timesed it by nearly eight mm. in the US know. and Canada alone yeah know. and I mean I couldn't find the figures for for worldwide but again mm. that's probably going to jump usually, again yeah, yeah. yeah it's usually in a similar ballpark that's isn't right it? Yeah. So, as you say, it was uh, June the 4th, 1982. Not obviously, because uh, mm. if you didn't know that, you didn't know that. And it was directed, as we've mentioned, by Toby Hooper. Or not Tobe Hooper, as I, I as it, I thought. I mean, we've already been <laughs> <laughs> going around in circles, but for years I've called him Tobe. And I'm going to be really annoyed if it turns out it is Tobe. But I've heard other people say it, like I said, they say Toby. Um, I don't know. It I doesn't prefer, look right when you, when you look tobes, at it. So, yeah. Old Tobes. Uh, all right, Tobes. <laughs> How you doing, Tobes? You're all right, You're all right Anyway, uh, uh, written by Steven Spielberg, Michael Grass and Mark Victor. Mm. And a story by Steven Spielberg yeah. as well, right? Yeah. Produced by, obviously, Sp- Steven Spielberg and <laughs> Frank Marshall. That's uh, <laughs> turned German all of a sudden. <laughs> uh, Frank Marshall as well produced it. Composed by Jerry Goldsmith. So this was not the John Williams time right did you notice because the score started and I was like is that Williams that's not Williams is that I had to had to look it up you know what I mean obviously Spielberg wants it to sound a certain way right and if he's doing the music to E.T. sorry I haven't got the time to do yeah so it it makes sense because I proper had to check I was like, that's very Williams-esque, yeah. shall we say. And the cinematographer is Matthew F. Leonetti. Mm-hmm. Uh, a credit to him, because there are some beautiful shots in this. It's a it's very well-made film. I mean, the, the initial one where the it's looking out over, over, over Burbia, <laughs> over suburbia, <laughs> and you can see the clouds yeah, kind of coming yeah. in. It's just such a good shot. Yeah. And I mean, again, even, I thought, even the opening shot... With the dogs doing the rounds around the house, basically doing all the heavy load of exposition with a dog. That's a fantastic way of such, introducing it's them. Such good it's movie, like you don't it? need yeah. to do anything else other than let's have a dog go around the, yeah. around the literally house. Literally introduces you, does all that heavy living, lifting of the exposition by just going through different rooms. But even that opening bit where the TVs and their TV is all of the TVs in their rooms. I think you only see two: one in the living room, one in the the 
master bedroom, all on the floor, all really low down. And his TV watching chairs really low down. Now I'm assuming this is how things were in America. This was the style of decor. But it really stood out to me. But it, it again just looked so satisfying. There was something so familiar about the setup. And you see the dad asleep in the chair and the telly's on. I think it starts with like the national anthem, right? And it's as they're playing it out. And you get the dog going around. But even that, that, just that shot. And then it follows the dog around. So, it's just so pleasing to watch as an opening shot for a film, you know? Yeah, the. <clears throat> <clears throat> Excuse me. Do you love it? You get emotional. I just can't. I don't know what to do. <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, the, I think the cinematography is so good mm. that it makes it look easy. Mm. It makes it look like anybody can do it. And as anybody who's ever gone behind a film camera or any kind of camcorder knows, it's really not. It's easy to do it badly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and. I, th I think often people go straight to the director mm. to say, oh, he directed it, that's great. But if you've got a bad c cinematographer, it's so noticeable. Mm. Uh, but when you've got a good one, it's so unnoticeable because it just looks great and you just think... If he's doing his job well, you don't, you don't notice there. it. That's yeah. right, yeah, yeah. Uh, so moving on to the, <clears throat> onto the cast... Craig T. T. Nelson, as we said, plays Steve Freeling, the father. Mm. Joe Beth Williams plays Diane Freeling, the mother. Beatrice Strait plays Dr. Lesh, who is the uh, main uh, parapsychologist. Dominic Dunn as Dana Freeling. Uh, Dominique Dunn, sorry, not Dominic. Right, <laughs> Dom. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dominique Dunn as Dana Freeling and uh, Oliver Robbins as Robbie Freeling and then we have Heather O'Rourke as Caroline Carol Freeling can't say the words now and then lastly we have Zelda Rubinstein as Tangine <laughs> and that's got to be the little lady that turns that's, up at the end that's the, like the that. exorcist yeah so she's so good yeah steals the movie steals the movie there's always there's often when we watch these things there's someone who comes in and steals the film and it's her in this movie even like because this movie's got like it's got plenty of like jokes and it. it starts off really light-hearted it's just lots of jokes the re tv remote jokes there's even the joke after the um the bird dies and the kid's really upset and in a moment they're actually like can I get a goldfish now like it's just all these little light family moments in there so they're setting you up for this happy suburban family it's very light but when uh, even when at the in the depth of like we're trying to save your daughter the, what's the what's the exorcist's name? uh Tangine Tangine <clears throat> throws two really good comedy moments in the first one's when she's like I'll go, she won't come to you. <laughs> She's like, you've never done this, no review. <laughs> yeah, you're right, you, you go. go. <laughs> oh, that, like that is, a beautiful comedy. Moment. I mean, that yeah. that's, that line steals it for me. Yeah, I yeah. think it's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, and then, she, sorry, go on. I was just going to say, she is literally the personification of charisma. Yeah, like, yeah. She 100%. just comes in and just steals the show, Yeah, you know. Yeah, and uh, the last one's at the very end, when it's all, it's still all a bit hectic, but the, they're out. And she looks at the camera and does her hair and gives it a little like wink. <laughs> you know, uh, great stuff. But yeah, like such that is the performance of the movie. Her so good. The moment she, I remember watching it when I was young, 
and thinking like, oh man, she's super weird. You know what I mean? It's just like, you watch it as a, as a grown up, you're like, oh, she's amazing. I wish I knew her. I wish she was my friend. Do you know what I mean? I would, I could, I could listen to her tell me stories about the paranormal all day long. If this was now, she'd have a YouTube channel and I would watch it. You know what I mean? She would also have a very successful podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for uh, sure. You know, I think, it's a shame, really, because she hasn't really done a lot else. No, I her. only know her from this. I did wonder if she'd done much she's else She's done after. 16 Candles. She in six? I haven't seen uh, it for years. Southland Tales, which is a sci-fi film from 2006 with The Rock and Sean William Scott. Bit rubbish. And then What's that film called? Uh, Southland Tales. With Sean William Scott and The Rock? Yeah. Did they do Welcome to the Jungle? Yeah they've done that as that's well that's not the same film no because that's got two different names that film hasn't it possibly it's called it's called something in this country and it's called something else in America I'm sure it is possibly yeah uh, and then she's done a little known film which I need to see but I haven't seen called Behind the Mask The Rise of Leslie Vernon uh, which is like a it's a mockumentary where it follows a serial killer uh, sorry I just burped <laughs> All right, oh, you can talk again in a minute. Hopefully, I mean, hopefully the burp came out on on, on, uh, on the mic because otherwise that's just going to sound random. But it, I couldn't hold it in. I thought it was just because the idea of a mockumentary about a serial killer just made you want to throw up a little. I bit. mean, it doesn't sound good. <laughs> I think it's tongue in cheek. Yeah, it kind of yeah, has yeah. to be. Uh, yeah, it's a real shame because I think she's so she's so charismatic that yeah. unfortunately I think she's kind of made it a little bit. A rod for her own back by being typecast a little bit. I'd like to, uh, if this was now, if this film was made now, I'd like to think she would get a series of spin off over movies or a TV show because that's what people would want to see. Yeah. You know yeah. I, mean? I think, I think you, on, on the money there. Uh, obviously, I think, I think we've probably addressed a couple of things. You know, obviously, we've gone through the cast list, and unfortunately, uh, Dominique Dunn died very shortly after the film came out uh, she was unfortunately murdered by a boyfriend no uh, which is absolutely horrible uh, I and I, I, I think she's a really underrated person in this film she she doesn't really do much but when she does do it it's great mm. uh, so yeah that's a, a you know not, not a great thing it's absolutely well, horrible and then obviously that, we have yeah. Heather O'Rourke who I think she'd done the second film and then unfortunately got quite ill and unfortunately passed away mm. uh, at a very young age. So, Yeah, when I was younger, people used to say the film was cursed. That's the thing, you know, things, the you poltergeist know. curse is quite a quite a big thing. It's mm. almost, you know, it has its own kind of cult following right. sp specifically for that. Uh, I mean, there was two other people who who died afterwards, but they were quite old and it was quite... You know, un yeah. you know, it was understandable, but it's that thing where you go, these, all these people have died since, and, and it, you know, it fuels that kind of uh, yeah, the narrative, yeah, yeah, pandemonium behind it. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you've got the 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 uh, the fact that they used real <laughs> real skeletons. Mm -hmm. However, as soon as you find out the reason why, it's really not that satiable, shall we say? Mm. So apparently it was the industry norm because mm. they were cheaper than 
didn't plastic ones. ones. That's right. Yeah, you know, yeah. so <laughs> they didn't tell Joe Beth, Joe Beth Williams that when not. she was doing the scene. They told her afterwards. Yeah. Uh, so like the scene in the pool. Yeah, yeah. Because there's a lot of skeletons in it after the scene in the pool. But the, the, I know the ones in the pool. The story that they're all real. Yeah. They're, they're real. Obviously, they put makeup on them to make them look slightly less skeletal but so it's, I assume it is every skeleton you see there are I would I think well. so it's yeah. Gotta be, right? uh, yeah, yeah but so I mean so some ethical things there by not telling the cast that's weird at, at yeah. least give them the choice and yeah. if they don't want to do it get a you know get a body double but yeah. that's what they done uh, and I think that you know the whole poltergeist curse I think it's people looking into things you know I think there are other films where there are kind of more to go on there's more you know more, spook, more meat spooky to that, things to that, going yeah, on yeah. Uh, but I think that's probably why this film was kind of still still at a stage where people still talk about it because of that do you think uh, I think it's just it's I mean, just because it d- it's a great movie you, I, know I, you know I think anybody who's seen it knows that it's a great movie mm. but I think there's a definitely a an audience who I'm going to uh, that's the film I've got because oh, you want to know what happened behind the scenes mm. you know it's uh, quite a tantalising story to say they they used real bones you know it's yeah, you yeah. know it's that, yeah, that it kind does, of it kind does of add thing. to its legend yeah. it? that's right I always thought like I always wondered if it was one of those things where like everyone knows what a ghost is and I feel like I could be wrong like, it just could be I mean the film's 82 yeah so it, the film's basically always been around for me you know but I always thought, like, I always wondered if it was like poltergeist was a relatively new word. Not that it was like new, but you know, words suddenly just become something within like the zeitgeist of culture. And I think it was like, oh, it's a poltergeist is like a ghost, but it can touch you and beat you up and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. And it's just, and it's, 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 I wondered if it, it just tapped in at the right time to like people knowing what a poltergeist was and then there's a movie about poltergeist i don't know it's just pure speculation you know? well it's funny that you should mention that because oh, the, really? the word poltergeist actually comes from german mm. uh, it sounds like a german word which you it, yeah. means no- noisy ghost <laughs> <laughs> i mean if you say noisy ghost it doesn't sound quite as scary it doesn't does sound it? very threatening does it's it? that, oh, it's no. got a bloody noisy ghost next door <laughs> Oh, you want every night at the same time yeah. he puts that rocket on, you know. So that that that's where that that's where a poltergeist who always wants to put on "Love Me Tender" <laughs> <laughs> on repeat. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so that's where the where the where the name comes from. Hmm. Uh, so obviously, it's it, you know Steven Spielberg had a massive massive hand in this but mm. i think there should be a you know a fair bit of credit at the door of to- toby hooper because i think you know without an actual director it would have been very very difficult to you know manage working on et mm. and this at the same time yeah my understanding of it is like a, like i said it was a really close collaborative work and relationship and, and hooper was like i was really grateful for him to be there and just go through stuff with you because you're getting a masterclass while you're working aren't you from one of the all-time great directors and i think it was only later like when he started with spielberg started getting a lot of credit i don't know necessarily that the, their relationship might have soured i don't know but i know spielberg apologized to him 
but I don't know if that was <laughs> like mandatory after the court case or don't know but um, they, they, yeah they, uh, from what I understand is they got on very well and it was a very collaborative process of working together like you so say you can as a director I would I would assume I mean I suppose Spielberg's still relatively early in his career at that point but he's already the new hot director so I would assume that, that there's something in like I'm getting a masterclass here rather than feeling like contemporaries I would assume you're not he's not going to be on the same pedestal as he would be if he came and helped you direct a film now you'd be like effing Steven Spielberg's helping me make this film you know do what but, you want pal yeah, you know more than me <laughs> yeah, yeah am I gonna get paid and get yeah. credit sweet just show me how you do yeah. that how do I do this bit like stuff like do you need having... me I'm gonna be in the, in the bar <laughs> mate alright well, just having someone of like that calibre that on hand to say do you know what you wanna do there yeah and as long as it's welcomed because if it's not welcomed if you're like look I know what I wanna do you leave me alone it's, it's gonna be horrible isn't it but from what I understand, it was a really, really good mm. process while they were doing it, being, and the results speak for it. Yeah, yeah. being able to to pick up those nuggets, mm. oh, going to be so valuable. Just to watch him you work, know, would be just crazy, as, just as it? a yeah. even if you never end up using any of that kind of what you learn, mm. that process. You know, when you, you know, I've been in situations where you're working on a piece of theatre I won't mention it in every episode uh, I'm not trying to get work I, pr I promise you uh, but when you're working on a piece of theatre and, and you know it's good and you, you believe in it and you know we've got something here yeah. you know that's where it's like oh you know what this is hard work but it's so much fun because we know we're doing something good and doing something special is that what's missing from this podcast <laughs> If the shoe fits, <laughs> the uh, hard work, Steph. I'm going to I'm, I'm going to resort back to no comment. Infer from that what you will. <laughs> but uh, just going back to the uh, poltergeist curse. Yeah. Uh, some of the other things that apparently feed into this mm. is uh, so Joe Beth Williams, who played the mum, had a supernatural experience during the making of the film. Mm. so whenever she came home from feeling from feeling that's the name of the family whenever she came home from filming mm. uh, the pictures on the walls of her house were always crooked every time she fixed them they would then go crooked again every every single time she returned from that is creepy yeah uh, to be honest I think that's her husband or boyfriend playing Winding a joke. Because <laughs> that is genius. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She thinks she's being haunted. It's brilliant. <laughs> you want to see her face. Yeah. Uh, Zelda Rubinstein, Tangine, uh, also had an experience uh, when a vision of a dog came to her and said goodbye to her. Hours later, her mother called and told Rubinstein that her dog had passed away that very day. I mean, but it wasn't her dog in her vision because she would have recognised him. It's just a random dog. I, I mean, it's it's weird. It's like it's it's the sort of thing that you yeah. start humming the Twilight Zone thing. <laughs> yeah, if it happens to you, you think that was yeah. proper weird. That's a bit yeah. spooky, but it, yeah. you know, I think I do find with anything supernatural. If you look for it, you'll find something. <laughs> you know. uh, so that's Unwanted paranormal. 
Uh, yeah, that's uh, one of our sponsors. If you've uh, listened to any of the previous episodes, so be sure to check that out. Can't remember what episode that's in. No, so yeah. listen to them all. Yeah. Honestly, please listen to them all. Uh, so yeah, I think that's probably where some of the some of that kind of you know shtick comes from when it yeah. comes to the Poltergeist curse. I mean. I don't see much in it. It's a, it's a bit like honest. you know, like the the Pharaoh's curse of Tutankhamun and all that. Yeah. And you look into it, a lot of those people, like a couple of people died, and then like most of them died forty years later. Yeah. Or something. I mean, you got you got, <laughs> and it's like they're all dead. You know, it's like yeah. I would think you've got so. you've got obviously the Superman curse, which uh, is more to do with careers, <laughs> rather. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to say it so... I was not expecting so, you to say that. So, I mean, basically, the Superman curse is uh, obviously Chris, Christopher Reeve. Uh, yeah. Obviously, unfortunately, became paralysed after oh, falling shit, off yeah. a horse. Yeah, he did, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, but again, that was... Many years later. Many years later, and no way tied to the film. So, again, no. it's people looking for it. I think they were saying about... There was a, maybe a couple of other people who perhaps died... Uh, but it was more to do with as soon as they worked on Superman, their careers started to just tank. Yeah, uh, and obviously Richard Pryor in one of them wasn't too long after that that he he passed away. Um, Is that right? Did he die shortly after that? Then? Not too long. I mean, probably a couple of years. But really, you know, these these I these supernatural theorists will cling on to anything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think that's Gene Hackman. He kept working for a while. I mean, yeah. Though, you you, you right. conveniently forget all the people who have gone <laughs> who on, to, on do to do good other, things. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, obviously Marlon Brando is probably the, mo- the most obvious one. Where he, after that, he kind of started to filter out and didn't really do much else. Yeah, I, I, I can't uh, remember. I mean, what is Superman? It's like 70, 70 something. 79. 79. 79, I think. Yeah, uh, so he was on his way to yeah. being a, a total pain at no, that point. 87 was Apocalypse yeah. Now. Not the 70s, as you mentioned previously in an episode. I was, I was literally about <laughs> to say, I can't I know, I couldn't remember which way round I said it was and which way... I, I think mean, that's like late, late 80s. Like, no, it's like 1979 or something like that. It's, I can't remember. But there's another, there was another episode where I'm referring to... Um, uh, one Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and I keep calling it Clockwork Orange and I'm like, it's got... Um, What's his name? He plays um, uh, the Doc in Back to the Future. Um, oh, uh, Christopher, Christopher Lloyd. Lloyd. Yeah, it's got Christopher Lloyd in it, and you're like Christopher Lloyd's in, in Clockwork Orange. I'm like, yeah, and Danny DeVito. And you're going, is he? I don't remember. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And I literally point to the poster on the wall over here. That's like a picture from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And I don't pick up the fact I'm literally saying the wrong name of a film, you know what I mean? So I think we should probably move on from highlighting all of the flaws <laughs> in our podcast. Uh, yeah. So, uh, one quite cool little fact is that of the house that, that was used to film mm. the exterior shots yeah. uh, is located in Simi Valley, California. And it's still there today. It really and I thought it... it um, Crunched and shrunk. At the I end know. Of the movie. It's, it's amazing. I quite like that special. It's effect, amazing actually. what those American restoration programs can do. <laughs> uh, but that special effect, though, when it, it folds in on itself again, it's, it's still pretty good. Because like, those things like you question: Is this nineteen eighty two? Yeah, because it's it's that. It's interesting the way they make it. They make it fold, which is really satisfying to look at. Anyway, it's like house origami. Yeah, yeah, and it's like which doesn't involve. Uh, 
any kind of uh, slightly obnoxious doctor. Yeah, yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, it's got to say that stage. Jack the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we usually get to the end of the episode for it just degenerates <laughs> into the private jokes. It? Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, so obviously. Practical effects, uh, CGI, blah, 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 right? Anyone who listens to more than this episode See will know episode what... episode one <laughs> through two, five. Three, four, five, six, yeah. Um, so this has what would be the equivalent of CGI effects in it, that sort of um, multi-layer thing where they would animate something and then stick it over the frame, sort of thing, which is the closest you'll get to the, in 1982 to a CGI. And they're the effects that will date quite rapidly. So you accept those in this film. There's a few, there's a, there's a few of the old... Um, what I call the Ark of the Covenant ghosts kind of stuff that you see in in um, the first Indiana Jones film marching down the stairs at one point in this. And it looks great, you know. And then there's other stuff that's a bit more ropey. I like it when they open the door. That's also another great comedy moment when he's going, I once filmed a car moving across the floor. It took eight hours. But if you watch it in stop motion or whatever, you can really see it. And uh, T. Nelson just goes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> opens the door and all the furniture's just spinning round in the mid-air, you know. And obviously that now looks kind of ropey, like, let's be honest, it's, it's, it be, is I, of its era. I'd be, I'll be honest with you, I didn't think it looked ropey at all. Did you not? Like, I mean, I having said that, it wasn't something I picked out and went, that looks a bit ropey, yeah. I just consumed it. So, yeah. for is, me, yeah. that's the barometer of, if I don't, if it doesn't stand out, then yeah, it, it you stood know, out for me. Well, I was, but I was that's like, that's because you're never happy with well, anything. Well, no, because I would have thought they'd just put things on strings. <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't. Oh, like, fair enough, you know. But anyway, so the folding house at the end is obviously more special effects. They're not actually origamiing a house. But it, it looks it looks so satisfying while it's happening. It still holds up and looks pretty good. Well, no, yeah, right. that house is still there today, and it was actually brought by a family who hadn't seen the film prior to buying it. Oh, and then would you started, buy that house? Then starting to wonder why there were so many people constantly walking up taking and taking photos. Really? It's, and it's just like, why are they wow. taking photos? Mm-hmm. And then I think they started speaking to somebody after <laughs> quite a long yeah. period of time yeah. of seeing lots of people, and they said, this is a poltergeist house. And they're like, well, what's that? And we're like, you've not seen Poltergeist. They went and watched it and they were like, oh. And, I'm, you know, I th- they seem fairly okay with it. Would you buy that house? Uh, no, because I can't afford a house. But if I could, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I ain't going to risk it, mate. It's, you know. weird, it? it's a lovely house, though. Yeah. I did think that when it was, I was like, man. I, funny enough, a little bit like what you're, what you're hitting at, hinting at here. I watched that and thought, I bet you that house probably cost about ten grand, <laughs> like in 1982. Or like, like it, it's a big house and it's a lovely house. And then I start that part when it starts trying to work out, inflation starts going off. I'm like, now concentrate on the film, man. Concentrate on the film. One of the things you mentioned, obviously the 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 the, the use of CGI in this and I think it does the same thing that Jurassic Park does in that it has a mixture of CGI and practical effects and that's what makes it Mm. that's what keeps it you know standing up because again you're not seeing it for that long before it's a practical effect or before it's something that's a little bit of camera trickery or something Mm. like that yeah 
so you don't really have much time to kind of really stare at it and go that looks ropey apart from the scene that you said that looks ropey yeah. uh, <laughs> well they do they do one of my favourite things which is like build a room upside down spin it round all of those sort of yeah. stuff um, and it holds up I mean you know how it's done when you look at it you're looking at it still, going, it going well that she's clearly like trying to look like she's standing up when she's not or whatever yeah. but it's still so satisfying to look at because you're like that's a good effect it looks good and it it doesn't you know even the fact that you know how it's done doesn't take away from the the amazement of it you still mm. go that looks really cool mm. you know uh, I think that's kind of you know one of the things that makes it such a good film mm. interestingly one of the things I mentioned about the CGI I think it's the first time that some of the ghosts come out of the closet uh, yeah. and I don't mean in terms of their sexuality <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> Uh. <laughs> we can cut that if you want uh, but yeah when they f when they first appear do you think this film's a metaphor <laughs> yeah the subtext in this is uh, I assumed it was mm. like don't let television raise your kids but now you mention it yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I the first thing that I thought is that that looks really similar to Casper the Ghost Right from yeah, 95 yeah. okay yeah and obviously in 95 it looks a bit ropey it doesn't mm. look great it's a bit sort of like mm, that Casper the Ghost doesn't look great but in 1982 I'm like that's 13 years difference and that's difference. how you know you look at things and go well it's still holding up if that's still what some films it are held using held up for a long time you know yeah, yeah, so yeah yeah, there's great special effects as well. I really like that. I forgot it was in there, you know, when the dude pulls his face off in the mirror. And it's not a good puppet, I'm not going to lie. It's quite badly done. And it's quite badly shot. Like, he's clearly in someone's arms. I can't quite describe it. I know this is a, not a visual medium. But it's clearly like, you know, when you put your arms behind someone's, underneath it's someone's shoulders. Somebody else's arms controlling it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's Why clearly are his arms also the same length as the entire length <laughs> look, of his body? Look at the trajectory of his elbows. You're like, man, that dude's <laughs> arms must be like dragging across the floor, you know. Um, but I still love it. I still, it's just, it's something so pleasing about watching a man pull his face off my first thought when i saw that scene was i'm not being funny but that serves him right for one helping himself to somebody's steak in the fridge <laughs> and two putting it just on a countertop without a chopping board <laughs> without or anything a plate like that or anything yeah. i was just like i mean yeah. i mean not that you deserve it but there's an element of going well karma you yeah. have just dirtied somebody's countertop and, and shown no food. respect to their house yeah. when I, you know <laughs> that yeah. the house isn't exactly friendly yeah. shall we yeah. say i love that bit that's another one of those, those practical effects with the stakes inching across the countertop you know how it's done it's, it's so obvious yeah. but it's so satisfying and then it do you not how is it done <laughs> Well, I assume. <laughs> it's so obvious. I uh, assume that where the black grout in it is, it's just rubber seal, and they're going along on a stick underneath, moving it like that. That would make sense. And then it, it gets to a point because it cuts, doesn't it? And then it starts like, I don't know, growing. Like yeah, kind, yeah. I don't know how you wrote it. My favourite actual, I think it is my favourite special effects in this movie, and it's a real low-rent one. And I rewound it, I think, five times when it happened. 
is the chairs on the table in the kitchen so I'm like well that's one shot that's clearly one shot and I watched it and I was listening really intently to hear when it goes to the overdub so you can't hear people going chairs moving and stuff you can hear the audio cut you can hear her walking back did you do the chairs she puts them under the table and when she's walking back it's clearly dubbed and when she opens the cupboard that's clearly overdubbed that's what I think anyway and I'm watching and watching. Oh, how do they do it? How do they do it? It's obvious how it's done, obviously. Obviously. But there's, if you watch, I watched it like Rowena like five times. There's a slight movement in the reflection of, of I think it's the toaster. Is it really? Yeah. And there's a, a bush, a, a potted plant in the corner of the kitchen and it moves slightly, right? So, like, I mean, you could say that's the ghosts, but it's obviously people running around in it, you know what I mean? But I assume how they did it was they had the formation that they make it into already glued together just off camera, just pull them out, on, whack yeah. it on, like, but yeah. it's because it's done in one shot. She walks I mean, away, I, walks back, and it's seconds. It's not a long, even if that is how it's done. Even that's it's impressive. Because you've still got to get the yeah. other chairs out. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's, you know, it's, it's a round quickly. table. It's not just like you can, you yeah. know, you've got to go to the other. I mean, yeah. it being round doesn't change. If it was a square table, you'd still have to go to the <laughs> other side. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I said that. It's irrelevant. Uh, I would probably say that that's my favourite scene in, in in the film. I think it's... I definitely, it's definitely one of mine. It's not my favourite. It was. When it came up, like you, I was like, that's my favourite scene. And I wrote it down. And then something else happens later on. I was like, no, that's my favourite scene. I just think it's so it's so innovative because when it happens, you know, when when you watch films, you're, you're kind of always trying to guess where what's happening, what's about to happen, where is this going? Mm -hmm. And that first time she, you know, the chairs are all pulled out, you think okay she's going to move them and then she's going to go through something else and they'll be back to yeah. being pulled out but it diverts your expectations and just does that and I just think it's such a it, yeah, it, it it's one so your expectations. it's a subtle thing again subtle narrative thing to do mm. but it's so important to being in that position where you're going I didn't expect that to happen well it, it ups your expectations and it does it like a magic trick. So even though it, it in a way takes you out of the film because you go, what the f did they do that? How did... Uh? But it's like you've just seen David Copperfield make do something because you're like, hang on, there's no cut. Like, I, the first thing I did was rewind it to see if there was a cut. There wasn't, you know what I mean? And I think that satisfaction you get from seeing something essentially low rent. It's not a big special effect it's kind of just like ye olde filmy ye olde magician trick kind of thing sleight of hand and so, so a lot of distraction yeah look yeah. over here not over like here. it could be you could even be that the, i mean i have i'm gonna have to google i wish i'd google it before we start recording this now could even be that the whole the whole table and chairs is just on a thing you lift up and put another one in you know what i mean like the whole yeah, floor yeah rather than moving six different chairs putting a thing on the table it might just be that yeah, they pulled that one out and pulled the other one sense. in. It will be some magician's trick. That's how they would have done it in the same way a magician would do it. Slight hand. It's sleight of hand in it. And it's so sad. So I see why it's your favourite um, scene. Because I knew it was coming up. And I was like, ah, I was getting all excited to watch it. Yeah, right. Like a kid at Christmas. It's, just, it's so satisfying. It's, and like, you could have... Right, this is the last thing we're going to mention about CGI because this happens every episode. You could have done something way more spectacular with the CGI that would have been nowhere near as satisfying to watch. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, 
you know, I think we've probably got to mention the remake. I know you, you didn't realise there, realize there was one. No. When did it come out? 2015, I think. Is it? It's got Sam, I, Sam it? Rockwell. Mm, he's the biggest name in it. Yeah. Uh, I like Sam Rockwell. He's oh, and Jared, Jared Harris. Who's that? Uh... Have you seen the Sherlock Holmes films with Robert yes. Downey Jr.? The, he, in like the, the he's one. Moriarty in that. The English ginger dude. Not Ed Sheeran. <laughs> is he the bloke from uh, Home, Homeland? Is it Homeland? No, that's Damien Lewis. That's Damien Lewis. He's, uh, he's also in Chernobyl. I've seen that as well. Yeah, he's one of the, one of the people... Who, you're, uh, he's one of those faces that you probably don't know his name, but you you will recognise him. Cool. Uh, he's, in, he's in. Is it worth watching? The film, no, the not at all. Even for the not, special effects, the they're not that at bad. All. Really? No. I c- I mean, I wanted to watch it because I wanted to see, you know, what it was like. And did you watch it recently? Yeah, yeah. I watched it. Watch it because we were doing. I this. watched it shortly after I watched the first, the the, the original. Oh right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's just so. Everything about it misses the point entirely. There's nothing... You can't see anything where they went, that worked in the original, let's build on that, really. Mm-hmm. So the family, immediately dislikable. Like, as you were saying, they have to have a character. Casting is so, so important. you know, even the little girl, she's like copying swear words from her bigger sister her bigger sister's a bit spoiled and oh mum and dad that mum and dad so one of the big differences is that they move into this house because they he's just lost his job mm. and that's all they can afford mm. uh so immediately it's telegraphing that something's wrong with the house because the the realtor says, "Oh, there's some wiggle room with the price, you know, and that sort, sort of thing." Sounds very familiar. Well, yeah, it's almost like it's copying, you know, it's based on on an original film from 1982. No, yeah, but none of that's yeah. in. in no, the, it, yeah, I feel like I might have seen it. It's just everything about it. I mean, Jared Harris plays the equivalent role of Tangine, mm. uh, and for some reason, he's doing a dodgy Irish accent, <laughs> and he's got some really hokey supernatural TV show mm. I think it's called like Clean the House and his catchphrase is this house is clean well, this house is clean she says know. that in this doesn't she at the end yeah, this house is now yeah. clean but it's like done in such a mm. like a roll your I eye I know moment. I get it yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. just everything literally everything about it is just so off the wall it's not it just doesn't have does any it re- of the Does it reek charm? of losing the uh, the rights to the IP? We better make a, a film, like because that it's, happens. It, I think it, it's you know. probably just cash cow, you know, more than reasons. anything. Who's it directed by? Is it anyone of, um, of note? I don't, I don't, don't even know, like but that, I wouldn't yeah. say there's any direction. It's also got the the really tall dude from Succession, uh, the young, uh, slightly hapless. Cousin oh, yeah, from succession. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the sort of stoner character in succession. You know, mm-hmm. so one of the things I really like about the original mm-hmm. is that very, very quickly the family believe. You know, they they take they, it they just, quite well. Yeah. But <laughs> they believe I mean? really, really quickly yeah. that something isn't quite right. Mm. Whereas I'm t- I'm a little bit tired of these these tropes where it's 
half of the movie is somebody trying to convince somebody else. Mm. This is really happening. I'm not going crazy. Mm -hmm. This is really happening. Mm. That happens so much and it's so tiresome because it's just the same old thing again. Again, in the the, the remake, they, they do exactly that. They just, you know... The, the 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 little boy who is even more annoying <laughs> he's like a, he just he has this really weird like mumsy relationship with his mum mm. it's a bit odd <laughs> like, we're we getting into your uh, your deep rooted psychological issues gets on really well with his mum it's weird <laughs> no it's like in a really sort of it's like right, your mum doesn't listen to this you can tell yeah. as well <laughs> say whatever I want uh, yeah it's just a really weird relationship with his mum and then he's the one who kind of discovers things <laughs> like a lot of similar it's really weird they just they get on it's just so strange but they don't that's the thing they don't really get on like there's points where they do and then there's points where they don't and there's this scene where well, that sounds like every relationship they, they do a play on the chair scene and rather than it being the chairs it's a stack of cards in you know like a pyramid oh, yeah, yeah. CGI oh, so and you see it the flies at oh, the screen God, and yeah. again I'm thinking that could be far more effective if it was just normal cards and and a on a string and it just <laughs> and <falls>. a fan <laughs> all that yeah, yeah. so much but better. yeah on, on, on wires yeah he yeah. then runs downstairs and the family are having a bit of an argument about whatever mm. he's trying to tell them nobody's listening to them and then it, all of a sudden the mum just goes will you give it a rest and like shouts at him mm. and he goes running off and it's just like oh god here we go that's why this film is it, the, it just doesn't doesn't, doesn't have any work heart because that's one of the, as I say one of the, the the things that I really like about it is that most films don't just have people just go oh it must be a poltergeist then mm. you know I, do, I just think the scene shortly after the chairs where Crazy Nelson comes home mm. and they're like you've got to see this mm. and they it does it does it with the chair and his performance of the of the like the amazement of seeing this chair and the way he goes up and inspects the chair it's Mm. kind of like half like this is a bit freaky and half this is amazing and it's brilliant and then they start trying to do that with uh carol ann you know they put the the football helmet on and Mm. she goes across and that's again it's almost like it's it's a bit of fun yeah yeah. you know i mean that's what's interesting about this film is um was it's just short of two hours um but it it moves this film moves in the opening scene with the dog as we discussed within i think less than five minutes carol ann's talking to the tv now they leave it alone for a little bit and then do the more comedy character development bits but they've already given you a little taste she's talking to the the static on the tv he's having a conversation they're looking at her that's a bit weird and then you get to the the before you know it, you're at the the storms happening. The first storms. There's quite a few throughout the film, and interesting enough, I think that's where I learnt about counting lightning and thunder as well. I think I learnt it from this. I one, think that's probably where it comes from. It <laughs> seems like it seems yeah. like a totally made up thing. Yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah, um, that's true though. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, and then you get the the it's the the ghosts come out of the TV. I think, don't they? And you get that amazing, immortal line where the, their parents wake up and Caroline just turns around and says, they're here. Like, 
that's just like oh that's so, that's the poster it's, it's, there's your movie poster fun, right there it's yeah. absolutely fantastic and yeah. they ruin it in the remake yeah because they telegraph it again yeah she goes they're coming <laughs> they're here <laughs> it's literally like that yeah, and I'm yeah, just yeah. like yeah, no. If it's you're going to use the line that was line. used in in yeah. the original, mm. do it how the original done it. Don't yeah. you don't need to add to it. It's fu- there's a reason why you're remaking the film. Mm. You know, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the film has a lot of heart. That's the thing. And then with the with the utterance of that line, that here you get to. I think the next is the bent spoons and the and the broken glass, isn't it? My first thought was Yuri Geller's about yeah, again. Exactly. Yeah. I was like, is this where Yuri Geller got his career from? You watch this movie. That's, those yeah, are in yeah. deleted scenes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, um, and He's then, in the and then it, it does that. straight from that, straight from that, you get to the chair scene that we talking about, and then the sliding chair scene. T Nelson comes back, and the, the mother says to him remember when you were young and you had an open mind <laughs> right just think about that which is kind of funny because before that they put the kids to bed so they can go smoke weed in the bedroom which is like the most late, late 70s early 80s parenting thing in a movie ever you know what I mean even when the kid walks in and the mum takes one last hit and puts it out I'm like why you just couldn't do that in a film you apparently know, it's these because days. it's good shit yeah <laughs> is that right but um so like, but like, there's just a lot of heart. The, the 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 core of that of the movie is that Spielberg family unit right mm. there. And on that note, it's really it's a strange, it's strange. I've seen this film a lot of times. I don't know how many, but a lot of times throughout the years since I was like a teenager, I suppose. It's the first time I've seen it since I had a daughter, right? <laughs> and I I didn't. Someone had warned me about this sort of stuff. When you have a kid, like, stuff involving kids in perils in films might upset you. I cried three times while I was watching this movie. It was really hard. To, like, when I started, I started crying the first time, and I was like, oh, I, maybe I shouldn't have picked this movie, because I, I actually didn't want... I was like, I don't know if I want to watch this now. And there was three points out of the film. The first one's when she's hanging onto the bed, when she's getting sucked into the... And I was just like, I found it. I, even now, thinking about it, it's kind of upsetting me. I found it really hard to watch. Cause my, my, my daughter's like three months old. Do you know what I mean? And that the thought of any... any Because the film is a basically child abduction. She's been abducted by the spirit world and essentially is talking to you through the TV, you know. Um that did me and there was I can't remember there was another point in the middle of the film oh I think it's when she goes through her you know she's like she goes to walk up the stairs and Carol Ann's spirit or whatever it is goes through her bawling my eyes out at that point it was it really knocked me for six and then the last bit was um when it's over and she opens her eyes and she says hi daddy or something like that and I was like (laughs) I was gone. That, that was the, the was straw that broke the camel's back. Honestly, it was, I was surprised at how upset I got watching this film. It wasn't like, I wasn't like sobbing, but I couldn't hold it in. Do you know what I mean? It's just the, it was just like, I wish I hadn't picked this film. <laughs> like, I love this film. I've seen this. I just, it, I hadn't put those two threads together. How much would upset me? And I think, I mean, obviously a lot of that is, I've just had a, a daughter, so that you have those sort of your heightened emotions, but it's because the family unit, the Spielbergian family unit in this film, are cast and written so well that you care about them 
that when it when it, when it starts going down, it affects you. You know, I mean, obviously, me to a greater its, it's uh, extent because I'm an emotional mess at the moment. <laughs> you know what I mean? But that's the heart of the film, like you're saying. That's what's missing from the remake, from what you're saying. Yeah, it's like yeah. you don't care about this family. Yeah. I kind of want you all to die. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> oh, no. Hello and welcome back to Deal or No Deal, where before the break, Gary is hoping to find a low, low number in box number six. Now, Chris, can you do the honours? We really want to see a balloon. Good luck, Gary. I hope it's a low number for you. One of the, you know, one of the things that Spielberg, you know, mentioned about when he was casting was that I need to believe that this is a family unit, mm. and that comes across so well because so much, it's just, yeah. and sometimes it's just an intangible chemistry thing that you can't put your finger on, mm. you know. When you know when actors work together, you think, oh, you know, for example, oh, let's. You know, let's put De Niro and Al Pacino together. I knew you were going to say that. It's the classic, <laughs> one, isn't it? Uh, but let's put. It's like if I talk about casting, I'll be like, Tom Selleck was supposed to be Indiana Jones. <laughs> We've got our go-to. Like we know. Uh, yeah, Bob Hoskins was supposed to play the big guy, big ghost. Yeah, I mentioned I don't like CGI. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, but he he said it has to be believable. <laughs> and Bob Hoskins was <laughs> big ghost. Big ghost. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and again, it, it, that comes across so well. Yeah. And 
you know, the I, I think the the person who's for me, other than Tangine's character, who steals the show, has mm. to be Heather O'Rourke because that's the uh, Carol Ann who get who get who's the one who gets right. Abducted. Kind of, she is good in this movie. She, uh, yeah, it's yeah. so it's such an important role because if you if you're dislikable, we're not going to care. Mm. We're not going to really like be too fast about yeah. it'd be so easy to be overly sweet yeah. as and well because it, like. she's so you know she re- she's just the, the, you know the, the real kind of you know personification of innocence mm. she's funny in places can I get a goldfish now yeah. it's brilliant it's, yeah, and yeah. you know the face she pulls when she sees her mum dropping about to drop the bird into the toilet yeah. you know it's like and again that, that, com- that comedy comes yeah. through yeah. it's so important so when she is when she is even a bit when, him, when she's like doing the chair trick the kid's bored of it already yeah. and she's just like ugh yeah, <laughs> this again my, my bum hurts or whatever it is I'm getting yeah. Yeah. so you know so when when she when she is taken we really kind of like oh, you know it pulls at your heartstrings mm. as, you, as you just said and then we really want this to be resolved and going back to the thing about you saying about you know the pacing of it mm. and how how much it you know it flitters through everything it's something like 20 minutes until some spook real spooky stuff less than lot, half hour lot, for sure yeah, yeah lots yeah. of spooky stuff has happened mm. it's under 50 minutes until they've got the experts in mm-hmm. they're already in there yeah you know and yeah. again that comedy that runs through it's the thing of even the experts are like this is too big for us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. I mean, that's the thing. This film, this film, sets up so many tropes. I don't know if it was. I don't think it was following the tropes. I think it sets up so many horror films. Like we were talking about this in the previous episode about the Ring. The, the, the man who wrote the book for the Ring was said, "Oh, I'm a big fan of Poltergeist." And when I was watching Poltergeist, having just watched the Ring, I was going how did I not put these two together yeah, when you yeah. said let's do the ring and I went yeah let's do Poltergeist it wasn't a conscious decision and I was like oh this the ring owes so much to this film but so does the sixth sense like they literally at one point explained the entire plot of sixth of the sixth sense which would come out nearly 20 years later like 99 I think the sixth yeah, sense something like that. and they're talking about oh, people are dead they don't know they're dead they just walk around doing their normal things and I'm like that's literally isn't that like word for word what it says You've in given away the twist Jim <laughs> yeah yeah and like and it's like um the tropes of the of the paranormal experts who come around it's one of them looks like Killian Murphy I'm like if that was now that's Killian Murphy right and then I thought looks a little bit like Stephen King Killian Murphy should play Stephen King and <laughs> right hey you heard it here first <laughs> if you ever hear about a film starring Stephen King uh, starring Killian Murphy playing Stephen King then we're the ones who have put that together. <laughs> Someone heard this episode. Or yeah. they've stolen it from yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so you've got him, then you've got the sort of like, there's the the, the older woman, like, and they're kind of students. He, go, he seems to go to a university for this, I think yeah, I'm right yeah, in saying yeah. that. that. I've seen that so many times since. And then they're out of their depth and they have to bring in the weird outsider who's an expert, you, you know, whoever that version is. In this case, it's a, it's a small woman from Texas who steals the movie. But those tropes, seen again and again since. And I just watched this movie going, I, I always loved this film. 
I didn't realise how influential this film was. It's, it's sometimes really difficult to kind of place it back to where things started. Mm. And the thing for me, you hear about, you know, oh, it was, it was built on an ancient Indian burial ground. You know, I'm like, yeah. it, it's not quite an ancient Indian burial ground, but is that where that trope started? Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know? Let me think, because that's The Shining as well. The Shining's yeah. an ancient, it's an Indian land, isn't it? Uh, and so I can't remember if it's an Indian that, burial ground, but it's yeah, Indian land. That's probably where that started. Possibly, but I, until I just thought of it then, I thought it was from... Um, I, I got a feeling it might be in the sequel. I think it's Poltergeist 2. Yes, it was a cemetery, but before that, it's an Indian burial that's ground. That's where I... Yeah, that's it's where got I was... the Slender Man in it, isn't it? The, the skin. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sure it's from Poltergeist 2. Yeah, but that's, that's so good. The way that's, that's played, where they eke it out just a little bit when he he's gets him to come up you could live up here and look down on these peasants the, the, what about the graveyard oh we already moved it once don't worry about it and he's like huh well I guess that wouldn't upset anyone yeah. <laughs> all this stuff and, and then so you get that be like, oh they built it on a graveyard and then you get to the you moved the tombstones but you left the bodies didn't you and all that bit so I mean good. I nearly swore then that is a that it I mean, other than they're here, yeah. that is just such a good line. Iconic. It's, it's performed yeah. perfectly. Mm. There isn't any single thing I would change about that line. Yeah. I was waiting for yeah. it. Yeah. Because, I, again, have not seen it for a while, your memory kind of puts things in different different places and I thought that yeah. happened when it was up, when they were showing the cemetery mm. when he goes up on the hill. So I thought it happened there. I was like, ah. Oh, where does that come? And then it, so from that point on, I'm like, yeah. Is he going to say it? He's going to say it. He's going to say it. He's got him. He's got yeah. him. You move the cemetery, but you didn't move the bodies, didn't you? Yeah. It's brilliant. Yeah, it's so it's, good. You know, it's so good. Yeah, money, money shot right there. You know what I mean? It's so so good. But this film's full of those things, like you say. I'm not 100 percent sure where the Indian burial ground thing starts from. Whether it's The Shining. Or this, I'm sure it's the in the second movie. It is an Indian burial ground that they built. That's the prob cemetery. probably sure where it's coming where, from because yeah. I think I might have seen the second one first for yeah. some weird reason. I re as far as I can recall, the second one's a good movie. Yeah, as far as a, I can remember, I think, it's been I a think, long time. Yeah, like, yeah. The, the, my overriding memory of it is it has a lot of flashbacks. He's he's kind of like he he like kidnaps her from a mall or something I forget now but he's like in, I seem to recall him being in a cave and he's like he's like um, a cult leader or something like that it's, I forget the exact plot but as far as I recall it's a good movie I'm going to check it out um, very soon because um, I kind of feel like I need to need to see the next episode of it which is interesting like because um talking like what was my favourite scene and then as I was, was the chair thing and then as I was watching I was like oh no this is my favourite scene and I assume they're talking about the same person like I said I haven't seen the sequel for a long time I can't remember is that bit where she's explaining to her family what's going on the, the little lady and she's like oh she's in there and like they're attracted to her life force and all that they're, they're the, she's the one thing they haven't got which is life and it's a, it's a connection to her memories of love and la da la da la da and it's and I think that's where the speech she goes about people are dead they don't know they're dead they're walking around blah, blah, blah. Right, and then she goes now brace yourself there's also someone else in there. He lies to her. He keeps her close and whispers in her ear things only a child could understand. And to her, she looks like another child, but he is the beast. And I'm like, oh, that's when I, my eyes are going, and I'm like, ah! you know what I mean? And that, 
in that moment I was like no that is such a well done scene it just ramps it uh, starts off and it builds and it ramps you I think know, as soon as as soon as we get Chan Jin's character mm. there's just so many bits where it's like you know one of the things I really like is when she's like she's like talk to Carol Ann yeah. talk to her yeah. tell her not to go into the lad yeah. Who, which one of you is is the more disciplinary like, and then they it. start arguing it's like it doesn't really matter <laughs> argue about yeah. this later yeah. I like the bit when she's like, tell her you're spanker. He's like, I'm not going to, sp- I don't spank my children. I was like, 1982. I still got spanked for years after this film came out. <laughs> Quite progressive parents. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's great stuff. Yeah, argue about it later. Yeah, it's yeah. just so... And she's like making her scold her child. It's just, oh, it's heart-wrenching mm. stuff, man. You know? I think the, the only thing, as I said, I touched upon it earlier, the only thing about the family unit that, and again, it, it's not something I would massively change. They're just little kind of pet peeves. Mm. Is is the the little boy? Oh yeah, you, uh, you mentioned it here. Yeah. You? <laughs> Seems to have a problem with little boys in films. That sounded that, creepy. That <laughs> wow, sounded weird. Okay, I need to think about things before I say them. <laughs> but he he kind of he annoys me in some elements. You know, mm. I mean, first of all, why would you have a creepy clown at the end of your bed? Like, just move it. Yeah. You, you, you like move the clown, please, because yeah. I'm gonna be honest it, it with tops you. Tops and tails the film yeah. as well, doesn't it? Him trying to throw a like <laughs> coat over its head or something. Like, yeah. Even if it wasn't a clown and it was a, you know, an equivalent sized fluffy animal, mm. something just looking at you at that age in the dark when it's you're just creepy. a bit yeah. half sleepy, mm. it's not going to be good. Move the clown. Yeah. The other thing. I mean, it does lead to a brilliant, a brilliant kind of father-son bonding moment. But when he's saying about he's scared of the tree and the lightning, I'm just like, "Well, close the curtains, then. <laughs> You've got them there. That's what they're there for." Yeah, yeah. But he doesn't. And if, even after his dad's come back, and he says it's scary, like his dad doesn't mention it either. Like, he's just <laughs> yeah, like, "No, no you, one closes those. You curves. will stare at it." But <laughs> You'll be okay because yeah. all you have to do is this. Yeah, you, and then, you are going to get eaten by yeah, that big rubbery you know, tree. And it, yeah, and that, those are kind of the, the only things. But the, yeah. as I say, those are just Small like things, really it? tiny pet yeah. peeves that I know are kind of something you know, I was going to say. Uh, I uh, something else I had to rewind twice to check, and I wondered if it was on your copy as well, or whether it was a glitch on my DVD when I was watching it. So the chair scene when he's sitting against the wall. Mine cuts really badly in there at the neighbor's house. It's almost like mid sentence, and I couldn't work. I I rewound it and was watching the timer on my DVD, and it didn't jump. And it was I was like I was gonna Google it. I, don't, I forgot to see if it was well known. It's literally like they messed up the edit, but I'd never noticed it before, and I can't work out if it's on my DVD or if it's part of the film. I was hoping you because I mean, if. I reckon you would have noticed it if it was on your. It doesn't ring a bell, so yeah. I'm guessing it's not there. Yeah. I mean, I've got the 4K copy, and I know they've done some restoration to it. So they, if that is they in there, that may have been something up. they took yeah, out. Yeah. Uh, oh, something so. else I wanted to mention as well. Talking of casting, and also it's worth noting how like quite often happens with these things when we when we look back at films, even with the Ring film, we're saying like with the Naomi Watts character probably wouldn't be handled the same way now. Um, when you go back even further, you get even more 
that's not appropriate moments. So there's the bit where the schoolgirl, the eldest daughter, is leaving the house and the construction workers are like, I can't, they're like basically wolf whistling at her. I forget what it is. And her mother's watching this and just laughing. Like, <laughs> One of those, it's, it's, that scene's pretty messed up. There's right? always problematic things when we watch films <laughs> yeah, from yesterday. Right, yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting. She handles what, it very well, yeah. though. The daughter, I must say, is a uh, superbly handled. One of the, but it's the fact that the mother just goes <laughs> those guys, just before the construction workers start stealing her food as well. Yeah, but one of those construction it, workers is, is in Billy Predator, from it's, Predator. It's yeah. Billy, Billy, I, get I saw, the chopper. I saw him and was like, "Yeah, I, I recognise you, but in a much more dirty environment." Yeah, yeah, and he, Again, he doesn't look as big in, in that. This sounded either. weird. That did sound weird, considered in context. Uh, yeah, it, <laughs> it's all going on with you today, isn't it? <laughs> Your mother. <laughs> we started there. Yeah, I think this is actually uh, more therapy than anything else. Uh, but this will go down. Yeah, this, the, the, it's just the one of those episode we can't release. The lost episode. Ryan yeah, had just, a breakdown. It's, <laughs> it's one of those blinking, you miss it cameos, isn't it? Yeah, he doesn't look as big, and like, and it might just be. Like I mean, he's he's not he's not all so up with his muscles out. Predator was eighty six, seven, eighty six or seven. So yeah, he could have bulked yeah. up, you know, probably. For, yeah. I mean, if you're in a but film I was with just like, every time I see him, I was just like Billy. Yeah. If you, not being funny, if you're in a film with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jesse, Jesse Ventura, Ventura yeah. and you're playing and Cole, a play a marine or something, Cole kind. Weathers, Weathers, Cole Weathers, Cole Weathers, yeah. Yeah, you're gonna. Chances are you're gonna want to bulk up a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a great story about that, but we will leave that for when we probably eventually. Uh, is it a long story? No, not really. You tell me the story then. Uh, so Jesse Ventura, obviously quite a big ego from the wrestling world. Yeah. Uh, decided that they would measure their biceps. Right. And basically, what happened was, is Jesse Ventura got made costumes made and he went uh i okay let's let's measure your bicep now and he was like ah your bicep is i can't remember the exact figure but let's say your bicep is 32 inches and then apparently the costume woman says that's that's bigger than arnie and he's like brilliant brilliant and then later on jesse ventura cock of the walk is going my biceps are bigger than yours and Arnie's like, well, shall we measure him now then? Of course, Jesse Ventura's like, yeah, go on then. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> they measure them. Arnie's got bigger bigger muscles. And then he says, yeah, I told that costume designer <laughs> to say that to you. <laughs> it's just brilliant. Yeah, I, I, I've heard stories about the, the, the rampant male egotism that was going yeah. on during that. In a sort of friendly, competitive way. I yeah. think it was like non-stop on that movie, wasn't it? Any, yeah. Anyway, that's a, that's a bit of a sideways... Uh, tangent there so you mentioned casting and we have got some of those uh those signature casting stories that kind of become quite a staple of our you know episodes so in the role of uh the mother somebody who was offered the role uh was apparently shirley mclean right uh, but unfortunately she backed out in order to make terms of endearment Hmm. Uh, I can't imagine her in the role to be honest I can't see it I can't see it Uh, so both of the terrors that plagued Robbie 
this I mean this isn't casting but it's quite interesting both of the terrors that plagued Robbie came from Steven Spielberg's own fears as a child so a fear of clowns and the tree outside the window mm. so apparently Spielberg didn't shut his curtains either <laughs> so yeah yeah uh, but they were saying that they wanted virtually unknown actors to play the Freelings. It's always a because good move. Because yeah. they wanted to add realism to it, so yeah. as, as we've kind of already discussed. Mm. And they thought that if we put a big name or big names in there, then you it would just distract from it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, uh, we've of, spoken about this before. Sometimes it depends what you're going for. Unknowns can be the greatest way yeah. to cast the film. I mean, if, if that's the big, the need. big kind of casting thing at the moment is who's going to play James Bond. And I think, mm. you know... Go with an unknown probably go for an unknown is, is your best bet yeah I think but Daniel that. Craig was kind of an underdog when they went with him yeah he? like he, he'd done a few things that's he? right uh, so in the role of Carol Ann this is obviously quite an easy uh, step to make because of the links to E.T. so Drew Barrymore <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean it makes so much sense yeah. doesn't it she's probably busy uh, making E.T. at the time yeah, though <laughs> but apparently uh, she uh, she uh, Spielberg wanted somebody more angelic which okay. obviously makes a lot more sense when you see Heather O'Rourke who was cast yeah and that's what actually got Barrymore the role of Gertie in E.T. was her audition for Poltergeist oh I did not know that so uh, and lastly in the role of uh, Tangine Zelda Rubinstein who is the actual uh, actor who ended up getting the role apparently auditioned four times upon getting the role and managed to film her part in six days. That's pretty good going. So, you know, very, very professional uh, performance, as we can see, because it didn't take that long. Yeah, I mean, it's good. I mean, everyone around her must have been on their A-game as well at that point mm. then, you know what I mean? You mentioned earlier about uh, Stephen King. He cropped up. Mm. And he was briefly approached, actually, to write the screenplay. Was he really? Yeah, and it would have been the first... King direct uh, first written by King directly for the screen, mm. uh, but and this doesn't sound <laughs> doesn't sound too uh, too outlandish. But the part but parties could not agree on terms. <laughs> so I can. So this was like early eighties. You think this was yeah. peak Stephen King on cocaine yeah. era? Stephen That's King. Right. This yeah, would have been right. two years after The Shining. Uh, yeah. I think that was the first Stephen King one, like properly Stephen King, wasn't it? Oh, really? Was it? I don't know. I think so. I know he I can't hates think, it. But, can't uh, think of one. I mean, having listened to uh, the book on Audible, it is very different. Oh, totally. I have the um, book, the straight to TV movie. Yeah, he likes that a lot more because it's much more, it's much closer yeah. to the uh, the original concept. Yeah, let's have a look. So. so when originally released in the UK, the film was anticipated as being an X certificate. Wow. Prohibiting anyone under 18 from seeing the film. This rating was also printed onto the poster art, and this was due to a delay in the BBFC's introduction of the new 15 certificate, mm. which replaced the old AA rating. Uh, obviously, the word for poltergeist is, ger is German for noisy ghost. <laughs> Every time I read that, it makes me laugh. Uh, and as we've mentioned, the practical, the special effects mm. uh, were good, and they were nominated for Oscars, but lost to E.T. Uh, so uh, yeah, Steven Spielberg, he yeah. won either, either way. Yeah, either way. And the same thing for the score as well. Was uh, that was also mm. nominated for an Oscar? 
So, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean uh, other than it sounding very John Williams-esque to me um, at the beginning, I didn't really notice the score much throughout the film, to be honest. I may not, might have been too busy blubbing like a small child in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't hear it over the weeps. Yeah, yeah uh, the sobbing. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's a really good element uh, in... Uh, I think it's when everything's been sucked into the closet, into the co- closet mm. uh, or wardrobe in this country, uh, and it has this. This it's so good and so subtle, but it's like a mixture between sheer terror and like pure amazement. You know, it's like this thing of like it's like it feels fantastical, but it's scary at the same time. Mm. Like we were saying earlier about the elements of the unknown which mm. are quite scary but they're also intriguing you kind of yeah. want to know what's going on and the score just delivers that yeah I, if I had to guess because it, it genuinely would be a guess because like I said I don't I weirdly wasn't paying much attention to it and I normally am on top of this sort of stuff if I, from from my best recollection I'd say it's quite a jaunty might not be the right word but it is more magical sort of sounding yeah. score isn't it it's yeah uh, it's, I'm sure like you say it, it probably um, turns up the heat when it needs to you know yeah. what I mean um, yeah damn yeah it, I'm sh- uh, fair dues yeah and it, you know the art of good composing sometimes is to know when to draw attention to the music and when not to mm. one of my biggest pet peeves is when it's telegraphing how it wants you to feel mm. it's playing this type of music because we want you to feel this emotion at the mm. time and I think well I think all scores do that but I take your point I think it's when you notice it's, when it's it really it's, it's obvious, not being done well you know, if you can see, if you uh, notice it happening and, it, yeah. and the, it, it isn't obvious like that in this you know I think mm. there, are, there are there are times where the score needs to be needs to really you know come out of its shell Mm. and i think this film perfectly dances that fine line of when to show and when to kind of you know when to hold back yeah i think probably the fact that i didn't even notice it means it was a perfect marriage yeah i mean it's it's perfectly suited to the film such a good movie it's so weird to think it's 1982 i would put it late 80s and you you know it was the eighth highest grossing film of 1982 which for a horror film is is really good going, yeah. You know, yeah. 1982. So that would have been. Is that Indiana Jones? First, uh, is that first what's the first oh, Star Wars? Is like 76 or something like that, isn't it? I think yeah. 77. And I think but, 89 is the third Indiana Jones film. Yeah. So I'm going to say 90. It's about 88. Yeah. It's. I think Indiana Jones may have happened at that point. Yeah. It's early 80s, anyway, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So. But generally speaking, you know, at the I, time... I'm going to say 1980. That's right. If I had to count, I'm going to yeah. say it was 1980. But generally speaking, the type of films that were coming out at that time, mm. just in that era, that would have been a lot of competition. I can't think you know, of many so horror films So to be the eighth highest grossing film of of the of the year yeah. for, a, for a horror film on a $10 million budget, which mm. always sounds... You know, flippantly saying it's not a lot of money, but it in, in movie terms, it's really not. No, uh, no. I mean, when you're talking Hollywood blockbusters, yeah, a Spielberg Hollywood. Yeah, film, I mean, you yeah. Know, you think like if a movie only produced, if a not movie directed. only makes twenty million profit, it's considered a failure in Hollywood, isn't it? Yeah, and so you know, it's such an it's such an achievement. Mm. And I think you know, the, and it's weird that I don't. I mean, I could be wrong. I could be doing a massive disservice. 
But when I looked at his IMDb profile yesterday, I didn't see any films I recognised from Toby Hooper afterwards. And I'm going to have to do more of a deeper dive. Apologies, listeners, if it's driving you as mad as it's driving me. But I'm going to have to do a deeper dive to work out whether what that is. I like there, I read that he he got into legal things about the directorial. There's there's like, really not credit, much to, not much to note. Mm. You know, look at doing a bit you, the research into this. There's there's really not really much there. Mm. Uh, and you know, coming back to the to the remake again, you know it flopped. It mm. wasn't successful at all. Yeah, it was and, lightning in a bottle with a film. And it? yeah, yeah I mean? it's that element of okay. Uh, obviously, you're there to make money. We understand that as an mm. audience. But who who is this for? Because I guarantee you, nobody was asking for a Poltergeist remake. No, nobody was going. You know what? I really want to see remade. Poltergeist. Nobody was saying that. Mm. So, I, okay, so if you're bringing it in for a new audience, okay, I get that. I understand that. So, do what made the original so well. Obviously, you don't have to go, you know, the Psycho remake and do it shot for shot, mm. but do what made it so well. What well, is so the thing you always learn always, from the original? Always sticks in my head ever since you said it, where it's like, they should remake films that should have been good but got made badly. Do you know what I mean? Like, the concept of this film is amazing, but we stuck landing when we did it last time. Let's remake that. Which is almost never and, what happens and I in think, Hollywood. I think the, yeah. only, the only genre, really, that tends to do that is the superhero genre at the moment. Okay. So when you look at things like uh, X-Men, let's say, yeah, they realised that the third X-Men film was terrible mm. and obviously it, it flopped and it wasn't very good and it, you know, really left a bad taste in a lot of fans. What happens in the third film? Is that Dark Phoenix or is that the second one? Uh, no, it's matter. called The Last Stand. This is of the original trilogy. Is that something to go back in time? No, that's Days of Future Past. <laughs> yeah, right. But with that third Last Stand... Mm. It was awful, you know. They had Vinnie Jones as Juggernaut. You know. Oh, yeah, I've seen that one. It's oh, I'm the Juggernaut bit. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. You know, we talk about casting, but no. Mm. Uh, Is that? I remember my mate around that same time, Vinnie Jones popped up in. Um, it's not too fast and furious. It's the Nicolas Cage one, Gone in sixty seconds. Yeah, he, he plays a mute. Speak in that, does he? And my mate was like, "Perfect casting. <laughs> Just whatever you do." Don't, don't let him, him, don't let him speak. <laughs> unless, unless it's a Guy Ritchie film, don't let him talk. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and when they, you know, they, they then kind of done the soft, well, yeah, the kind of soft reboot where they'd done First Class where it was, okay, this is going to be That's the right, meeting yeah. of, you know, Charles Xavier and Magneto. Is that McAvoy? Yeah, yeah, you know, and that, you know, and, uh, that was a decent film. Bender. And then Days of Future Past the one yeah. after it is the one where they wreck on everything and basically create the new timeline so everything that happened in those first three films doesn't happen in the in the timeline of the story that mm. doesn't exist right, because right. they realised we didn't do a particularly good job of that yeah. you know so that's the only you know The Incredible Hulk is, a, is, is another example you know they've done the one with Ang Lee mm. uh, uh, that's with Eric, Eric Banner. Banner yeah yeah, yeah. And I actually one, really liked the um, Ed Norton one. I thought that was a pretty good movie, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, Ed Norton apparently was quite difficult to work with on Yeah, there. he's, he's uh, well known as being a <laughs> bit up his own a-hole. Uh, and, 
yeah they then they remade the ed norton one mm. you know and it was it was still a relative it wasn't it wasn't have uh, they remade it they, I, I thought they gave up making hulk films where they just recast him and started putting him in, yeah, in other that's stuff when they there. went okay we, we have they haven't had a solo she hulk tv series that the new yeah, hulk turns that, up in. I, mean, it, I saw uh, some couple of episodes seemed all right yeah mm-hmm. i think a lot of people hate it but i, oh, really? I thought it was quite saw a couple of episodes seemed quite good. perfectly reasonable to yeah. me you know what i mean yeah uh but yeah that, but I it's think weird that, though because you get to like when you think about horror movie remakes because they will always remake horror movies they constantly remake horror movies how many times have they rebooted Jason how many times have they rebooted Michael Myers they tried to reboot I just Freddy got the image Kruger. of Jason X in my, in my I love Jason X <laughs> it's so bad and yeah, so good it's supposed yeah. to be like that though isn't it but when they redid um, Nightmare on Elm Street I was like, I went to the cinema to watch it. I was like, the only reason to remake this movie is because special effects are going to make those dream sequences amazing. And they looked worse than they did in the original. They didn't, weirdly didn't try to do anything different. They tried to keep almost faithfully to those original special effects. At which point I'm like, what are we doing here? <laughs> I've already seen this film and it was better in oh, I'm going to say 81 I don't remember when the first one came out it's a long time ago so that is is beyond me but then you think of like as we've previously discussed The Fly is a remake one of the best remakes in Hollywood history The Thing is a remake, is a remake. Yeah. Like the Kurt Russell thing, because they then, then remade pre- it. Well, it's then kind, it's it's kind a of a prequel, though, isn't it? The other, but they just the, called it the, the thing one, again, yeah. Yeah. which annoyed me. So I call it some, give it an asterisk or something, because people thought it was a remake. It's not. It's a prequel. Yeah, but no, that is a remake. So it it can work. It's just so rare, and I would argue hasn't been able to be pulled off since the eighties. Like remaking a movie since I bound to be wrong there's going to be uh, the exception that proves the rule but I, off the top of my head I can't think of a single remake that is better than the original funnily enough everyone handbags on the um, Rob Zombie Halloween films the two of those I don't think they're as bad as people make out they're alright I think they're you perfectly know. serviceable I think, films you know I, mean? I think again it probably appeals to a different audience mm. I think it part of the part of the appeal of the original Halloween is it's that slow stalking mm. kind of element whereas I think obviously that one makes it very much about the the gore that's oh, very not, visceral yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but there's a place for it I didn't think it, they were too I think the first one's better than the second one I saw the second one first uh, bizarrely I didn't even know he'd done the first one <laughs> <laughs> and I, it, was, it was back when video stores still existed and I saw it and I went, oh, I didn't know Rob Zombie had made a Halloween movie. Oh, it's Halloween. I'll watch that. Mm. And I rented it with like 50p or whatever it was. And, and I was like, this is a good movie. And then I went back and watched the first one. Yeah, I mean, whilst we're on the subject of Rob Zombie, it kind of brings me to a point that we don't really have horror directors anymore. You, uh, James, James Wan? No, who am I thinking of? There's a James few. Wan horror director, isn't Yeah. It? Yeah, yeah. Now you said that, I've gone, oh yeah, I forgot what, about James Wan. <laughs> and Rob Zombie. Yeah. Mainly does horrors. And, uh, who's Eli it? Roth who's is, Blumha- is one. Eli Roth, but that's what I was thinking of. Those is that ones. Blumhouse? Yes. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. Eli Roth. So there, yeah. there are, but I mean, and now I think of it, I can't think of it, apart from Wes Craven and... John Carpenter. John Carpenter. Toby Clive Hooper. Barker. Toby <laughs> Hooper. Uh... uh 
but do you know what I mean? It doesn't feel like we have horror directors as much anymore. Yeah. I feel like we have people who direct Jordan horrors. Peele. Pardon? Jordan Peele. Yeah. I mean, his one's venture. He's storming it. You had M. Night Shamala. Yeah, I wouldn't say they're horrors, though. I'd say name, they're, I they're thrillers. Uh, more than anything. Oh, I don't know. Hang on. The, the Sixth Sense is a horror a th- movie. I'd say that's a thriller. Nah, it's got ghosts in it. It's definitely a horror movie. This is an interesting point. Which I was going to get to. Where I is we the line get... between horror and thriller? Well, exactly. So, like, I think I think you were talking to me about this. You're like about Stevens. Should Steven Spielberg do horror? Like, return to horror. I think is what you said. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, well, he's skirted around horror. This is the, as we said at the beginning, the closest thing you'll get to a Steven Spielberg horror movie. He wrote it. He had a heavy hand in in the making of it. He's, but he's, he, apart from some TV stuff he's done that was horror, he's flirted around the edges. So obviously, Paranormal Activity made its way to cinema because of Spielberg. I think he helped, he got them to change the ending after he saw it and then helped them get it distributed. Is that right? I didn't know. I am positive of it. Um, <laughs> probably going to be wrong, but I'm positive. <laughs> uh, there was a, a rumor going around uh, that he saw it and then weirdly got locked in his studio and he was convinced that the tape was haunted. Pure marketing BS as far as I can work out. Um, but yeah, he had a he had a heavy hand. Interesting enough, I got in a conversation on Facebook about found footage horror. And I was like, I know Blair, which wasn't the first. There's definitely at least one before that that's almost identical to the Blair Witch. But I remember seeing the Blair Witch and thinking, that's a really good concept for horror, found footage. Everyone's got camcorders these days, you know. Um, And then once you've seen it once, and then you see it a a million, you don't need to see it again, especially not that millionth time. And then after I got into this, like, after I posted that, I remembered Paranormal Activity. I was like, actually, they did something quite clever for a found footage movie, is they had it, like, still fixed points and locations in the house, and they explained it. Do you know what I mean? And I thought that's actually was quite a smart move for a found, because I'm not a fan of found footage horror. But apparently the first Paranormal normal activity it's film was good. good. It good. really holds up. Gives you that creepy feeling you would expect. Um, so yeah, sorry, back to my point. Spielberg and horror. The old, age old argument, like you're saying Sixth Sense is more of a thriller than a horror movie, is whether or not Jaws can be classed as a horror movie. Now it's a monster movie. So in its, to me, in its purest form, it can be classed as horror. If you, someone told me they think it's a horror movie, I wouldn't argue with them. I, in all honesty, don't think of it as a horror movie. It's kind of a buddy cop, thriller, monster movie. But if it's a monster movie, surely it gets, I was going to say, it gets in through the back door to be in a horror movie, right? It gets, because in its, their truest form, horror movies can be monster movies, and monster movies are horror movies uses a lot of Hitchcockian techniques he was a horror director but I hear people online argue about it all the time about I think the, the thing for me that makes it not a horror mm. first of all it was a summer blockbuster it uh, was the first summer, summer blockbuster, blockbuster you don't it get it didn't exist you don't get thing. blockbuster horrors oh, you I get disagree big budget horrors but you don't get blockbuster horrors I disagree 
Name you one. Scream. I went, I'm not going to call that a, a blockbuster. Uh, I know what you did last summer. They're not blockbusters. Huge films. Plus, the summer blockbuster did not exist until Jaws. He didn't do it. Didn't purposely make yeah, a summer yeah. blockbuster. It got released in summer because they're like, this movie's crap. Let's just dump it in the summer months when no one goes to the cinema. And then it was like everyone went to the cinema to watch this. It's a summer blockbuster, and it became mm. its own thing. I think. I think for me, blockbusters are big budget affairs. So you never, you very rarely get big budget horror films. So for me, they, they they can't be blockbusters mm. because all you know, you think of blockbusters, you think of those big budget affairs and yeah. the films that cost a lot of money to make. You know, now you think of summer blockbusters and you think of those in. Th- you know, we're looking at two, three, four hundred million to make. Yeah, but you can't compare no, no, how much you would spend on a movie now compared to how much you no, spend no, on a movie in the, the 70s. But when I say you know it's I mean? the equivalent of what you would have spent in the 80s, mm, and, you know. I think, I think it's, I, under, adjusted, I genuinely adjusted understand Adjusted for inflation and things like that. I, yeah, I understand, what, I, I do get your point, I really do, but I actually think even if you adjust it for inflation, the money they spend on movies now is still way more ridiculous than they would back then, even if you adjust it. It'd be, I don't know for sure. I'd love to sit... I will sit down and and work out what the budget for Jaws is in, uh, adjusted and see if it comes near half a billion dollars, which, I mean... Yeah, know, I, mean, I, mean, I mean... But, I mean, look, as we sit here, I believe... Barbie is now the second most profitable film for Sony. So I think it's literally gone past I think it's Avengers Endgame or something. Must be up there. You know what I mean? That's been a pure for you it's know, crazy. who would have thought? Have you seen it? No. No, me neither. No. I'll wait till it comes there's, out. There's streaming. a little part of me who's been a massive film snob about it. Really? I'm like, <laughs> it's, it's about I'll wait till it's free, you yeah. know what I mean? But yeah, so this is—I uh, can't even remember what we're talking about anymore. But <laughs> where does horror begin? Where does horror end and thriller begin? And yeah, so I would say the sixth—the sixth sense—is definitely a horror movie. It's got ghosts and stuff. In it, but I know what you mean. It's not. Does it have scary bits? Oh, I don't think it really does. It has I think creepy it does. bits in it. Yeah, I think uh, it's difficult, isn't it? Because there are, the, the genres are so similar. Yeah, I mean, they you, cross over. You look for DVDs or whatever online, and you go by genre. Mm. They crop up in both, and you're and, and in my head, I'm like, that's not a thriller. I want thrillers, but you know, mm. so I can understand. Oh, we uh, were talking about directors. Yeah, yeah. I, I just don't think we. Ha- <laughs> We don't really have like prominent horror directors in the same kind of breath that we had them before. I think we do. I just think their films aren't very successful. That's not that they're not successful. They do not reach the same plateau. That's right. As I say, Eli Roth is probably a big, you know, big in the horror genre. Him and and James Wan, I think, are Uh, the main players, and obviously Jordan Peele is. Yeah, I think Jordan Peele's a little bit of a an anomaly because. His his films are really well written. So they good. don't they don't play they don't really have tropes. They 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 do. Well, they play they play with the tropes. They play with in them, the best know. way. Have you seen Nope. Nope. <laughs> Nicely done. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it's supposed to be really good. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, I think it's a little. It, it's one of his more. Uh, it's, it's aliens in Nope. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's basically yeah. said he, great, he wanted yeah. to make he wanted to make a film where if you were watching it, uh, you would think you, you were watching Close Encounters, mm. and then halfway through you realise you're watching Jaws. Nice. 
and when you that makes so much sense mm. and it's so but it's one of his ones like it's a bit like marmite you either you know people love it or they hate it mm. so he he's his you know those films are really well written mm. i think eli roth is uh i genuinely can't think of apart from hostel and that's torture porn isn't it yeah, yeah, it, yeah obviously yeah. it's that different kind of style which when is was that? Has it's like mid noughties is it roughly yeah, saw around that around that sort of all time, those yeah. films when, when those i remember him just seeming seeming hostile yeah i remember seeming brutal when i first watched it's it. not that bad now i bet you, it's you know, really tame it's it, you know uh is it hostile I, too where she cuts his <laughs> his uh <laughs> misters off <laughs> Uh, is it Hostel Three? It's I not the first one, I'm sure. The third not. one, I think, is is a like a really different remake. I think the second one is, yeah, I think the second one is when that because the dude who gets his his um, unmentionables <laughs> detached from his body at the end of the film. Spoilers, I do apologise. Turns up in, um, I'm sure it's him. He turns up in How I Met Your Mother playing a receptionist, and every time I see him, I'm like. Pretty sure that's the bloke in, in hostels. I think it's two. Yeah. I like the first it. one is the one where he gets the back of his ankles cut. Yeah, cuts his Achilles, Achilles or whatever it is. That's yeah. So that's bad. that's yeah. the bit that proper sticks in But my yeah, head, that kind of yeah. came out at a similar sort of time to things like Saw, mm. which is obviously James James Wan. But those are really the th- the only the th- kind of three. Did he like Roth do Cabin in the Woods? Yes, I think he did. I think yeah. He did, yeah, you know. Do you know what I mean? That doesn't. And as you say, they're perhaps not as successful. I think those films aren't considered classics as such. And I don't know if do I don't. To I mean? be fair, I don't know if that's just because not enough times passed. Could be a sign uh, of the times. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think we live in such a postmodern world now. Like I was, I was, we talking about this with um, my wife yesterday, and I was like. I remember exactly what we were talking about, but it must have been... Oh, yeah, it was because we are talking about The Ring being made in 2002. I'm like, it's 20 years ago. 20 years ago. And you start doing that thing, like, 20 years before that would have been 1980, would have been Poltergeist. And then you go, like, what's happening, right? (laughs) (laughs) Talk about blowing my mind halfway through. And it's like, what's happened since... 2002 now not much we, you, we, you know, that's how yeah. it feels you're like well not, not much has you happened you said it in the fly know? episode where you know the distance between now and the fly is the same distance between the fly and the original no, it's greater I, I think it's like yeah years, sorry there's more it's 40 sorry. something now so it's more yeah, yeah. but it, do, it feels so much so you think and even again like you've just said the ring from Poltergeist which as we've kind of mentioned is quite heavily influenced by mm. Feels so so far, so far away yeah. from the eighties, and it, you know, and it's, it's only twenty distance. years. It's yeah, not, yeah. You know, and you go, okay, but that's the same amount of time since the ring mm. to now, virtually, and yeah. it doesn't. I've, the I've, ring doesn't feel the, dated or old or anything. Apart from the CGI in places, yeah. you don't watch this and feel like you're watching a piece of nostalgia, do you? It's, you it's, it's, I mean? it's, yeah, it's utterly crazy. Uh, yeah. I, th- I think, you know, bringing it back onto onto Poltergeist itself. Mm. I think, you know, obviously I've men- mentioned the remake and it just not being very good. Uh, I think it all it, all that film made me do is, and I'd already just seen it. I'd watched it 
the day before it just made me want to put the original back on really and that's, you know that that is perhaps though. the only positive to come out, <laughs> to come out of it is it that, was so bad is that <laughs> some people may watch that and go why does everybody hark on about that original the remake mm. is terrible yeah. how can the re you know and they may go back and watch it and it gets a new audience that way mm. uh because it, it there's not going to be a, a franchise made or you know a a distant uh sequel from from the others mm. because it, it just flops so bad uh yeah. i mean on imdb it's got like a 4.9 user rating uh, yeah. and look i like crap films yeah, uh, there are films for yeah, yeah. we just we mentioned jason x terrible but it's mm. brilliant it knows you what know? it is that film, and there's right? so many films i think films, that's the difference in it that film knows what it is uh, whereas so some films, films are bad they're just, just trying too hard aren't that they? are just terrible mm. but i love and it's not even it's poltergeist the remake isn't even that it's not like this no, is so no, bad i'm but getting the impression that you really don't like yeah. it <laughs> it's just, it just it's like they decided to take everything that made this the the original great yeah. and do the opposite yeah. oh you've got a really good realistic heartwarming family mm. let's make every character in the remake unlikable i mean that's the thing it's like you look at like a the success of something like stranger things it's, it's bilberg it's the, the influences through that are it so feels tangible so 80s it's so it's tangible, so 80s yeah. in it and they're, they're doing it on purpose obviously and that's why it works so it seems odd to me that you could then make remake a film like Poltergeist that is essentially a the most Spielberg horror film you're going to see and go well, let's not do any of that I guess it's so wrong yeah and you know and it's so easy to do we were talking yeah. about the you know the difference between cgi and practical effects and whilst it's not the same argument with that the one thing i was expecting is that oh, okay well the cgi in the other one isn't bad by any means in the in the original isn't bad by any means but considering that at every opportunity it's it's more is thrown in your face mm. like even even it sounds louder yeah. you know that kind of thing there's a scene in it where the ball rolls along the floor and it just hits against the wardrobe mm. and it sounds like somebody's taking to it with a hammer mm. it's that kind of sorry because they have the um the tennis ball scene in the original yeah and it's such it's such a, a simple divisive trick it's a, that, that you wouldn't do it that way now it wouldn't be same, it wouldn't be uh, fantastic enough for a modern film. Yeah, and then you watch it in the in the Poltergeist, and it's like he writes number one and number two on two tennis balls, and they throw it through one, and it comes out the other, and it's just, and then they do the rope, and, and it's just like simplistic works perfectly. Like it is, it's a slight white sort of misty look <laughs> on the ceiling you know simple straightforward like and the, the modern tendency is to overdo everything isn't and that, it, that was the thing I was thinking okay well at the very least the CGI in that when they first show the the parapsychologists the room yeah the first time they show that well at least at least that has the opportunity to look great because of all the stuff going on yeah. and they lit it's like because they're doing everything opposite and how everything was kind of going on mm. literally the only thing that's happening in that room when they open that door is the curtains are blowing and the the, the wardrobe door is just banging a bit that's it <laughs> right, and it's yeah, just like yeah. 
So you're doing everything to yeah. the umpteen level, putting it to the max, to the point where it's so obvious what you're trying to do. Mm. There's jump scares, everything's louder, everything's more in your face. And then the one scene where it needs to be in your face... Yeah, they dialed it you back don't, You don't far. do it. Yeah, it's, yeah. Just, and it, it's just a missed opportunity because I think there is an audience for... I, I like the idea of things being remade in its kind of... I, I hate the idea of I hate the remakes <laughs> on the whole but I like the idea of them being like the idea of there being a new version yeah, of something I, mean, I like I, I, we've had this I think we had this conversation during the fly episode for sure um, I wouldn't mind if they didn't always suck that's, that's the, the problem, that's right? the thing. That's yeah. why everybody hates it, it, it remakes because they suck. always apart tend... from the thing and the fly and probably a handful of others. But yeah, yeah. they, they never bring anything new. Like I said with the Nightmare on Elm Street thing, I was thinking at least the special effects will be good, and they weren't. Only, the only good thing about that is Jack Jackie Earl Haley, the guy who plays Freddy Krueger. I prefer um. I prefer Robert Robert, Un uh, Robert Ungland, Ungland, but yeah. he was wasted in that. If you were to put him in the 1980 version, mm. I think he would do something great. Not going to be Robert Ungland, mm. but it's going to be something great and something different. Yeah. And as I say, I like the idea of, okay, it's been some years since we've seen Poltergeist. Let's try and recreate that magic in the bowl. Let's, let's try and get a new audience. Or at least let's return to that intellectual property. Yeah. Because there is an audience who want more of that. Yeah. I, I understand that and I like the idea of it but as you say they're always terrible there's always. very rarely apart from a handful ones where you go do you know what that's better than the original mm. like I say I'm know? convinced it hasn't happened since the 80s but I'm sure there'll be the exceptions to prove the rule you know what I mean so in terms of legacy of Polter guys we've kind of mm. we've kind of hit upon I think that. we've kind of covered it but yeah uh, mm. one of the things that I just kind of wanted to kind of mention is what I find so interesting about we've obviously been saying that it doesn't feel dated I think the only thing that kind of dates it and it's something that you kind of to be fair have to be looking for mm. obviously when we do these we're looking for things to talk about the fact that the TV has that white noise mm places it so firmly in a particular time yeah because that was my first thought when it comes to the remake yeah. but how are they going to do that because tvs don't do that anymore yeah if I mean, anything they had it, a whole, it would whole be a screensaver or saying <laughs> we can't find anything from this source you know or it'd be a, oh this tv will be turning off yeah. in five minutes something like that yeah. it doesn't have white noise yeah but there was there was whole horror franchise called White Noise wasn't there and I think about it. it was obviously inspired by this as well Sean yeah. Michael Keaton was in yeah he was in for White Noise which yeah. is almost it's not the same premise at all no one got sucked into TV but it is the same premise of yeah. people who are dead trying to communicate through the television he thinks he's talking to his wife but I think it's actually the devil or a demon or something um yeah, uh, it's a lost thing, isn't it? Like detuned frequencies, white white noise on a telly, those things that used to exist. That you, those um, you can't you can't use them to get as a plot device anymore. Um, so how do you remake something like this? Like we were we were laughing about the ring in the last episode, it was like a cursed download. You know what I mean? It's how do you get there? I don't know how you realistically 
uh, would be able to do a film like this. Now, I don't know if you need to. Poltergeist stands up on its own as it is 40 years later. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. yeah, it's what it's. As, you can, as anybody listening can attest to, we love it. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, what about further viewings? Anything that we can mention to our. I mean, I think all of the movies that we've mentioned that were influenced by this are a good place to go. Obviously, start with Poltergeist 2. That's probably going to be my next viewing of a film, probably tonight, if I don't... if I get some sleep, if the kid goes to bed. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, it depends what feel you're going for for me. I think, like, if you're looking at that Spielberg horror gremlins is probably a good place to go it's much more the friendly family friendly version of this movie um less so et those sort of 80s films all the way through to the to the early 90s are going to have a similar feel for them um i would check out all of the films that influenced like we said sixth sense um the ring um movies the remakes and the originals i would I would check out White Noise. I can't guarantee you it's not a terrible film, but it was clearly influenced uh, by this movie. Got a sequel, so it must have done something. It must, it, yeah. You know, it yeah. must have been something. The concept must to, have been worth following through. Yeah. Right? I think That's for right. me, whilst it's a totally different film altogether, in some respects, uh, I don't know if you've heard of the House films. Yes. Uh, that has a very. Very 80s. Very 80s and a comical you know comical horror kind of aspect to mm -hmm. it uh ironically it has uh dude from cheers in it he's the neighbor they uh, is it cheers or taxi driver big dude i can't think of his name ted danson no 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 i think he's one of he's de yeah it's definitely cheers he's norm the, peterson is he, the, is he the quite the larger fella yeah 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 norm uh oh Ah, what's his name yeah not his, the character's name's Norm Peterson yeah he's he's in in that he plays the neighbour who's Is kind of really? a little little bit nosy and a bit sort of like well, what's going on in here mm. and it's like there's this scene in there where he basically holds a rope uh, and he has the guys doing like an experiment as to the the, the thing in again thing in the closet yeah, uh, yeah. but yeah those have got that kind of comical element to it yeah I mean, then if, if you're heading towards comedy, The Burbs. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, such a movie. The Lost Boys. Not really spooky, either of those films, but have a sort of comedy horror bent yeah, yeah. in that same sort of 80s way, isn't it? You know? I don't know. I don't think there's anything, any other kind of things. I think we've kind of mentioned them all, really. Mm. It's weird with a film like this, you, you in, inevitably, when you're trying to think of something to recommend, you're heading down a Spielberg path. Films that are either by Spielberg or like Spielberg or of that Spielberg golden era. So obviously we, we threw in the ring and and, uh, and ring and um, Sixth Sense and things like that. Um, valid, there's valid options. But when I really think about it, I think like you're saying, a film like House or House 2, you know what I mean? Or those House sort. 3 or is House there, 4. Is there really that many? Yeah, yeah. I've got the box set. Beautiful, beautiful <laughs> box set from Arrow Video. <laughs> uh, I think it's really <laughs> difficult, isn't it, to watch it and not think of just Spielberg because he has such a distinctive style that mm. there really isn't anybody like Spielberg. An 80 Spielberg as well. Oh. You know, they have such a... Again, there's things you can't quite put your finger on. Mm. 
just it'll, make it. It'd be the it's the lenses, the film stock, the lighting, every, all every, of that everything. Stuff. Isn't the, it? The excellent casting, all of that. He knows he knows how to make the right choice yeah. in a film as well. Yeah. I mean, I think he knows what he's doing. I've heard that about it. Yeah. Mm. Apparently, it's quite good. <laughs> I believe that the casting of Anthony Hopkins in the role of Dr. Fraser Crane will go down in history as one of the great casting mistakes of the last century. Who do we have on line one, Roz? On line one, we have Bill from Buffalo. He's just not feeling himself. Well, hello, Bill. I'm listening. Yes, Dr. Crane, I would just like to know, would you f*** me? Would you f*** me real hard? So that was Bury Our Bones With for this week. We hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we enjoyed putting it together for you. Please don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us in all the usual social media places as Bury Our Bones With. So please do come by, say hi, and send us your comments. Until next time, I've been Jimmy Murphy, he's been Ryan Everington, and this has been Bury Our Bones With Poltergeist. <laughs> Everything starts with a so, doesn't it? So, Ryan. That's how I, that's what, literally what I was going to say. So, Ryan. And you always go, so. <laughs> let's, let's change it up this should we, time. Should we um, change the name of the show to so? <laughs> 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 that's so movies. Um, right, hang on. Well. <laughs> <laughs> well, then. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> So Ryan, <laughs> <laughs> you can't do. That. You can't, can't expect me not to laugh. Uh, oh well, we know what's going on at the end of the episode now. Don't yeah. We? <laughs> <sighs>